0: Welcome to Pop-Up Submissions Live, the show that you're as much a part of as anything else you're going to see in the next few minutes. We've got a brand new guest here today who's whip-smart and doing something that many writers are are considering doing these days, which is successful self-publishing. Just before I introduce you, let me tell you... Posted a new video on YouTube that might interest you, all about brushing up your book proposal. hope you enjoy that. And today's book club will start immediately after the show, but it's not on YouTube. You'll need to ask Jason uh, very nicely for the Zoom links. So do that, please, without hesitation, at club.litopia.com. And, of course, you can find out more about today's narrators at voice.litopia.com. Well, although... They're all so ridiculously talented You may find it impossible to decide which narrator Actually, you want to narrate your next audiobook So, let's meet our brand new guest She's a stylish writer from the Pacific Northwest Where the owls are not what they seem Please welcome Robin Jeffrey Oh yes, and to make this a truly memorable show It's the prodigiously talented polymath and (laughs) pop-up narrator Ali Gardner (laughs) <laughs> yeah, more than enough I think from me. Let's hear from our first author. And here we are, submission number one. Adam, the games begin. Commercial fiction, and it's from Thomas. And this is Thomas's blurb. Out of control street violence causes a corrupt federal government to allow cities to sponsor the games. These often fatal MMA-style boxing team matches are fought with Keistus gloves. Mm, I think those are ones with studs, but I'm not certain. Adam Straw is the long-time champion, guided by entities from the fourth dimension. He's a Qigong expert who has internalised writings of the great Asian masters, manifesting them as fighting tactics. His beloved wife, Evie, desperately wants him to retire. But powerful interests seek to assassinate him first. Okay, That's pretty clear. Let me tell everybody about you. Uh, T.C. Williams is a musician and songwriter who studied ballet and martial arts for decades. He owns 25,000... 25,000 comic books. Now, I know our our guest today has got quite a few, so we'll see if uh, she's got as many as you, TC. A rich wealth of unique experiences is evident in his storytelling. I think we'll be the judge of that. And certainly, we've got an amazing reading to kick off the show
1: from Emily. Adam, The Games Begin, by Thomas, read by Emily. Prelude. "'Hello. Do you know who this is?' "'I think so. Call me Donna. I mean, we are friends. Right, Dirk?' "'Yes, ma'am.' This is a secure line, so we can talk without any fear that other ears might be listening. A perk of being President of the United States. "'For God and Country.' Singleton felt an alarm go off in her head, hearing the touch of sarcasm. "'You are a very good fighter, Dirk. Maybe the best in the games.' I've seen professional fighters who were so big that it worked against them. You don't have that problem, do you? No, ma'am. I once knew a games player now. This was a few years back, way before your time. Did I ever tell you the story about Johnny Quick? Um, no, ma'am. Strange bird, that one. He enjoyed killing. Yeah. Yep, Johnny enjoyed it. Even more than me, I mean. Differently. I think he got a sexual charge out of committing murder. The games were perfect for him because he would have been out doing the same thing anyway. Perhaps he already was. On the side, of course. Singleton let out a chilling laugh. She didn't mean to let it loose so strongly, but speaking to a killer such as Dirk, the bomber Chaney, was exhilarating to her. A unique individual, several years before, she had learned how truly different he was in comparison to all the others in her able stable of assassins. Johnny Quick... Cheney felt a chill and shivered like a leaf, cursing himself for allowing the psychopath to get involved in his business. Life was meaningless to Singleton. Several years ago, Cheney had become disgruntled, feeling he deserved more money for the nasty work he was doing. Now he was stuck. Never heard about him. He was a trip, let me tell you. Also, a flash in the pan, so to say. Singleton was aware of a code among the ranks which led to a self-policing of the games to an extent Unnecessary violence by a fighter, which might sell more tickets in the short run, would not be synonymous with a long-lasting career in the sport. When inappropriate actions were regularly committed by an individual, friends of the deceased might make extra efforts to neutralise such a player, given the opportunity. Short career? He enjoyed it too much. After a few notable incidents, Quick ran into a cousin of one of his victims. The cousin was really tough and on a different team. Johnny was put out of his misery. Quick. Quick. Singleton spewed out a short, cruel-sounding laugh. She often found herself to be quite amusing. The cousin put Johnny Quick out of his misery? Well, yeah, so to speak. I heard that Johnny Boy lived to the ripe old age of thirty, sucking his dinner out of a pixie straw. Ouch. He didn't know when to quit. But you do know. I know, yes. When was it we drank together, Dirk? When was that? Two years ago. He remembered it like yesterday. How time flies. Singleton had hired the massive fighter as a private contractor to do some freelance jobs for her. Chaney simply had to show up for one meeting and the matter quickly resolved itself. She threw money at him. Another time he burst into a human smuggling lair and killed several people in close quarters, hand-to-hand combat, at which he was virtually unbeatable. Soon a rumour was hatched alleging his involvement in obvious partnership with Singleton, which would be a nightmare scenario for them. The President had long been one of the more important players in that industry. The rumour labelled him as a participant, even though he didn't know anything about it. Singleton knew a lot about Cheney, however. No common murderer. Dark Cheney was a soldier and must always be treated as such. Do you remember what we talked about that night? After many drinks, the President steered conversation topics to more specific issues. She had participated in countless killings, but needed to be aware of which ones to tell him about. Cheney didn't enjoy violence. Do you still remember? Yes, ma'am.
0: I love a rip-roaring start there from Emily. Thank you very much. Let's look at the juniors' room. That's um, oh, of great stuff. I mean, you know, I need a little warming up to get going. To be honest, they don't. Uh, oh, where do we start? Uh, the entity known as Lex says, MMA and mysterious entities, let's bluffing go. You've got, you've got Lex excited there. It's always a good thing to get him excited, not too much. Uh, Mr. Dupre says, uh, pronounce more like, you know, that's me. Okay, uh, give me pronunciation guides, actually. Please, always do, because I, I do need them. Blurb has some excess to weed out, says Barbara Carroll. Blurb suggests action-packed story. Oh, it totally does. Johnny, I'm thinking Hunger Games. I was thinking that too, but only echoes. And Matt says, the title's a bit long. Uh, the blurb's good, but has a couple of words a lot of potential readers won't know. Wonder which ones those are. Vagabond says, cool, always love a reading by Emily and don't we all? Um Dystopia. Carol says, first line could be stronger. Annie says, quite a few submissions recently with presidents in them. That, that's true, actually, yeah, we've had a lot. Not sure the dialogue quite works, says Barbara Vagabond. Says, well that's quite unpleasant. <laughs> MMA can be like that sometimes Annie, uh, why we're we not starting with the main character? And James says, not sure what's happening Carol, maybe some point of view issues um, Not sure about opening a book without giving us anyone to root for Says Vagabond and Johnny says, yeah, dialogue is a bit unnatural and distant So early on, uh, Claire says, I think this is starting the wrong place I'd start with action And um, Yeah, I mean, why not? This is about action, isn't it? it has got a good observation here. We're hearing about, uh, about a few too many characters. Maybe focus on the games or open with one to draw us in. And Mel uh, says, feels a, a lot of names and characters for a first page. And Matt says, dialogue too often, feels. As if the author is sneaking in backstory, which of course you do and you have to do, but really, you know, you don't want the reader to notice that, which makes it feel inauthentic. Absolutely, it does as well. Writing's uh, fine, says Johnny, we're getting a confusing opening. And James says, I like the blur, but wandered in the opening, and Lex goes on, actually. So he was very excited to begin with, and towards the end he says, I was promised time creatures help intense martial arts fights. I got people narrating backstories to each other. Yes. Yes. Uh, you have a great premise. Find it in this. Yeah, and I, I Carol, too. I, I absolutely, yeah. Dirk Cheney, uh, really, I heard Dick Cheney. I totally heard that as well. And the so you says, I was losing who we were talking about. Okay. Well, we've lost our direction. There's one person who can help us find it again. That's Ali.
2: Um, yeah, no, I very much agree with the, oh, with the genius room, of course. Um, I, I found the beginning very confusing. I, didn't, I wasn't invested in the characters at all. I knew nothing about them. They were just talking at me. Um, and the dialogue as it went on was really very loose. Um, and it then gives a bit of an anchor for the story. You expect that the writing is then going to be loose, that we're just going to yeah. have bits of information flying around. And it was confusing you know, because we didn't have any information about them, quite who was talking and, and why they were saying what they were saying. Mm. Um, there was head hopping which was a bit disturbing um i wondered if it should have been written in the first person to give us um, much more i mean it's an intense story isn't it it's going yeah. to be an intense story yeah about this guy's you know experiences in life and all the rest of it yeah. and i think that would have drawn yeah. us in a lot closer um and i entirely agree i mean why you've got an action packed story you know presumably hmm. and you're starting with people chatting on a phone you know yeah. at the end of it if you think of well, it's the president the information.
0: doesn't that get you excited it's the president. <laughs> Not, Not really.
2: <laughs> no. Okay. Um, actually, no, no. Sorry,
0: Ow. she sounds like a nasty piece of work. So that's—I mean—that's good.
2: Does um, it? But, she <laughs> oh,
3: okay.
0: Where have you been? Um, uh. There
2: are also an awful lot of clichés, and I mean, they need to be. There was what was there—shaking like a leaf, a flash in the pan. There yeah. was just an awful lot of clichés, and it—it it just needs to be much more interesting touches and things phrased better to. To kind of draw us in yeah so um all right all right let's the in the middle it's not good
0: <laughs> okay punch your numbers in punch your numbers in we'll come back in a moment oh. and, and see what numbers you've got pc Frontier says something very, very interesting a good potential story here but as others have said i would start with games and a boxing match involving the main character would a president of the usa speak secretly to a boxer well a few years ago i would have said no but uh, who can tell these days? We do live in surreal times. Pamela Jo says, what entry are we on? Brilliant sunshine at 5pm. I didn't engage. All right. Um, we're on the first one. And vagabond uh, says, if the president ain't talking to me, then no, not that interesting. Okay. Right so welcome it, it was actually wasn't it, michelle it always is actually from emily really she is the the team leader of our narrators and very very uh, warm welcome robin thank you for joining us so early from the pacific northwest and you've already voted there so that's that's great you like the blurb you like the blurb you like the commercial potential tell us more
4: yeah, so I thought the blurb was really strong. I thought it had some great elements that would really draw in a commercial audience. Um, but I feel like it ultimately failed to deliver in the actual um, excerpt that we read. Uh, I agree with what some of the folks in the genius room said, where really, if you have an action-packed story like you clearly do, it should start with some action, not a conversation. Um I want to get to know your main characters, and the best way to do that is to show me them doing something, not talking. Um, Let me get to know them through action, not words, which is strange because we're writers, but (laughs) that's just a really effective way of showing somebody who they are. Um, I also thought the title was... Leading with a character name is always interesting. Um, if we don't know who that character is, it often just kind of needs me going question mark. Mm. Like, why should I care? Um, I thought maybe just The Games Begin might be a better title and just dropping Adam. Yeah, um,
0: Adam's a bit dull, isn't it, as a name, really?
4: Yes, yeah. I mean, it's just as... Especially since I have no emotional connotation with that name yet, mm. um, I would just drop it. Yeah. Um, Personally. That's
0: exactly uh, exactly what the genius stream is saying, actually. Uh, PC Frontier says, I wonder why Adam is in the title. Could a better title be chosen? I think uh, Robin's already uh, ventured one. And Pamela says, uh, if Emily's sweet accent could be bottled, it would outsell Irish whiskey. And Barbara says, the entire Emily needs to be bottled. I wonder if anyone's asked Emily about that. I'm not sure, actually. Maybe Adam's game, <laughs> LA. Yeah, maybe Adam's game. Yeah, that's that's moving in the right direction, isn't it? Let's just see if... Um, Ali has given me I uh, push the wrong button then. Oh, it's not going on those shows. I'll push the wrong buttons. Um, yep, we've got some good votes there from Ali and we've definitely got some good votes there from Robin. We're going to find out more about Robin in a moment. And we've got votes from the Genius Stream. So now is the time to push the button and see what the numbers look like for you, Thomas. You've got a very creditable 61. Going to write that down. That's a That's a nice way to start the show today. I think it's it probably will find its market. Um, you're just calling it commercial fiction. That's a too, for me that's a bit too too vague. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean what isn't commercial fiction actually? Um, well, I suppose you might say commercial non-fiction. But I I need to know more. I give me a few comparators or something like that. You know. Um, is, is it I vaguely wondered if it might even be YA. I don't know because Hunger Games is YA. Um, Okay, I'll do that. Thank you very much, Johnny. I will do that. Yes, I'm sorry. People don't often accuse me of being too soft, but apparently it's happening today. Good. Let's have a look at our next submission. Here we go. Submission number two. Uh, It's called Starcatcher. This is YA. That's great. Starcatcher. Why a historical fantasy, it's from Emma. And this is Emma's blurb. Run or die, your choice. You run. Away from the corruption and chaos of ancient Memphis. Into a world filled with friendship, adventure and newfound power. But he will never stop hunting you while you keep running. And you can't stop running while you are the star catcher. Thank you, Emma. Let's find out about you. And, uh, Johnny, if you wouldn't mind giving me a level. That'd be very helpful. Um, here we go. This is what Emma says. This is my first novel which I've written around my day job and caring for my family. I wish I had more time for writing as it gives me so much joy. I wish you had too. Previously... I've created and sold bespoke, personalised children's books and have enjoyed running creative writing workshops in primary schools and at BookFest, Birmingham Children's Book Festival. Starcash is the first in a trilogy of stories set in and around the Bronze Age Mediterranean world. I made a pop-up submission about a year ago and the feedback was invaluable. Good. Pleased to hear that. Although, Agent Pete didn't like my blurb or title at all. <laughs> Sorry, what can I say? <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> make me feel guilty now. Oh God, well, you know what? I mean, anything to get a book deal, right? Um, I've redrafted the novel, changing the title and, uh, and blurb, of course, and would welcome your feedback, thank you. Well, thank you, Emma, and thanks also to Jeff for this reading. Mm-hmm.
5: Starcatcher by Emma, read by Jeff. Chapter One, Moon Blood. Their spiteful laughter hounds me. It bounces off the temple columns as I run, blood thumping in my ears, feet smacking on stone. I race on, bursting out the top of the temple steps, the late afternoon sun suddenly blinding me. I fly through the empty squares, past soaring white temples, past homes crouching in the heat. On and on until I reach the river. My chest heaves. My breath whistles. Hot tears burn my cheeks. I can't ever remember feeling so angry. I didn't choose this stupid life, not like those silly preening temple girls. I didn't want it. I didn't ask for it, and it wasn't the life I was meant for. I'd leave it if I could, but I'll never get away. Not now. I hunker in the mud rustling around me. I know I am being pathetic and unfair. This is certainly not the behaviour expected from a priestess in training, but I don't care. I squat comfortably, as a farm girl would staring dully at the undulating tracks of a crocodile tail drag through the muddy bank in front of me. Sobek, the crocodile god. Vicious, but also there to protect the innocent. That's a joke. A faint ripple in the water makes my skin crawl. Those tracks are fresh, very fresh. I force myself to stay calm, preparing to ease away from the bank. But before I can even begin to stand, the river explodes, spewing out a huge gaping head filled with daggers firing towards me. Jaws yawn open around me and I'm hit by a foul stench. I feel my own mouth gate wide. I hear a roar as suddenly my whole body is on fire. A jaw slams shut, a hand's breath away from my face. The beast crashes to the ground, writhing a steaming and steaming in agony. His prey forgotten. I am on my knees in the black mud, my hands scramble as I try to push myself up and away, my eyes fixed on the monster, but the huge creature drags itself back to the river. The water frothing and firming around him. It is all over in a dragonfly's wingbeat. I turn to see who has come to my rescue, Who has dared defy the river god? But there's no one there. I stand to look behind me to the side, above and below. On my ankle, a red stain, blood, but not from any wound, moon blood. The air hisses under my lungs, the same air civic, blasted at me, and I gulp in fresh lungfuls. I can feel myself shaking as I head home. Thankfully, it is too dark for anyone to notice that I am covered in the river's thick, black mud. The protests are bigger tonight. Bodies throng the main square and the atmosphere is spiky. People are hungry. That is, ordinary people are hungry. And I add shame to the feelings of terror and shock and fury knotting my stomach. I am not hungry. People of my rank aren't. Priests, viziers, nobles—all born into our rank. We all do very nicely, thank you. But life is a lot harder for the lowers, especially since the floods felled again last year. As Mao said, "No flood, no fertile ground. No fertile ground, no crops. No crops, no food." That's why the other girls. Those not born into rank are willing to scratch each other's eyes out to make it to the temple and train, join novitiate, and maybe one day be chosen to be a priestess. It was easy for me. Well, after she was taken, it was inevitable, really. I stumble into my home, not far from the main square, and lurch into my room. Chiwan, is that you? Maybe a hello? My aunt and uncle call from the dining room. Their voices filled with worry. A temple girl out at night with protesters. They have a point. Thank you, Jeff.
0: Basso profundo. I, I'll always laugh Jeff's to really. He's like, oh, really? Goes down low. <laughs> anyone's gone before? I think any human being. Let's look at the uh, genius stream, see what they're saying. Um... Title, I think it's fair to say uh, title, people feel the title people felt the title was a little bit less than okay. Um, yeah, people they're actually making title suggestions, so that's always you know an indication. Um, title thing, seriously, just do a search. I pe- people saying that you know, that title has been used and probably used many times, so you know, we want you to stand out a bit and we'd be a little more distinctive than that. I like the title says PC Frontier, but other writers have used this title before, could be an issue. Um great reading, Jeff, says Martin. Um Main character's female, says Monsieur Duprey. Nice exposition, says Brian Y. Monsieur Dupre says, This is the action we needed in the Adam. That's the previous submission. Mm. I like the emotion, says Martin, hoping it won't slip into sensory overload. <laughs> Carol says nice descriptive detail of action and opening paragraphs. This one had me at hello, says Vagabond. Decent writing, says Johnny. Bit of action, get us going. Pamela Joe says, why are temple girls always silly and preening? That is the, is the issue of the day, isn't it, really? Why are they like that, those wretched temple girls? Oh, I can't stand them. What's the valley girls? Um, Annie says, love the writing so far. So much more interesting than Blur Ballet." Thomas says, daggers form from a crocodile? Uh, Confuse me. I'm not able to feel for the main character, says Eva. Annie says, agreeing with Moonblood being a good title. Moonblood, interesting. Mel says, I get lost in so much action like knowing anything of the main character. And Carol says, give us some idea of what Moonblood is, too vague. Is it menstrual blood? Weird. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is, but I'm not certain, to be honest. Um, I wonder that too, says says Carol. Vagabond says, Moonblood says, girly time of the month to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I just wish the blurb hadn't been so vague, says Annie. I, I, I'd have a better idea of what's going on. And Matt says, I love croc gods as a thing. <laughs> well, you've got one reader there already, haven't you you've got Matt? This starts well, says James, but can we have a motion overload? And Carol says, I'm intrigued, but confused about what's going on. Well, let's see if Robin can unconfuse
4: Well, um, I kind of agree with everybody as far as the title goes. It's a little generic for a YA. Um, the blurb was just, once again, really vague. Um, oh. it spoke a lot in generalities, which hit a lot of tropes, but didn't really tell me what it was about. Um, so I, I did also go into the story a little like what is actually going on yeah. detail wise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Craft, I thought it was very well written. I was surprised that it was in first person um, because hmm. the blurb was in second. Um, so, from the blurb, I was almost expecting it to be in second person.
6: Yeah.
4: Um, so, that was interesting. Um, but I agree. that It was almost too much flowery language and detail for me um, and not enough emotional grounding as to why I should care.
0: Yeah yeah i think that's absolutely right pamela joe says really bitchy girl fights do we have to do yeah it's a bit cliche written actually isn't it uh matt was engaged lex says I-, I can partly understand what lex says but partly not and that's entirely because i'm not as intelligent as he is but then know what he is um he says i love both egyptian history and mythology hathor and i used to have drinks Now what does that mean i used to have drinks i don't know what that means egyptian drinks i don't egyptian cocktails i don't know but where is the story Claire says, like the setting in ancient Memphis, intriguing. I would read on, says Matt, which, of course, is one of the crucial questions we need to ask ourselves at the end of every submission. I'm giving this good marks, says Vagabond. Well written, says LA. mr so you pray? I'm either YA, not female, yet I'm either YA, nor... No, I'm not. I'm neither. That's what you mean. I'm neither YA nor female, yet I'd keep reading. Good. Some good text, maybe, um, some good text. Maybe it's just me, but I'm not sure what's going on in this story, says PC. Might be just you. Might be just you and me, actually. And a bag one says, Blurb is so vague that it intrigued me. And well, I'd open the book to find out more, Ali. Um,
2: yeah, no, and may I enjoyed it. I agree with the title, is a bit generic, and the Blurb... It told us a reasonable amount. It told us roughly where we were going, but uh, it didn't open up much. Um, But I like the fact that the text started with a question we immediately wanted to know why mm. she was running, who she was running from, you know, what was basically going on. And I figured it also quite neatly reflected the blurb. The blurb talks about the fact that you run or die and we open up and she's running.
6: She's and, and I
2: thought that was quite a neat Quit, neat strike. sort of uh, yeah, start, yeah. as it were. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I got a very very good sense of, of both characters and, and place, you know, with her crouching by the papyrus by the river and, and a lot of what she was feeling and going through, etc. You know, by the end of it, I felt I probably... Probably knew this person, um, Anna Mount. Um, there were one or two things which were just odd. You know, things like the moon blood. I think was a bit odd. Um, I felt my own mouth gape wide. Again, it just hmm. seems a very strangely phrased. You know, I wouldn't feel anyone like else's
0: that, mouth actually if they're gaping. I just wouldn't. No,
2: you have to stick to these things, I think. So. Um, but it is true that you're kind of reading along smoothly and happily, and something like that literally sort of trips you up. You're almost kind of going to, you know, for a second you just falter. And uh, so I think things like that, which are a bit odd. Um, and, and there were certain bits which are simply confusing. Um, and, again, that that's not the same as being subtle or literary or anything else. It's just confusing. Um, mm, yeah. So we, I think it's... We'll, but yeah, okay. I think we
0: can't be confused. So you, might, um, you but I like craft and you think it's got commercial yeah. potential. Explain that, please.
2: Yeah. Um, sorry, that I like the craft and I think it's got commercial potential. Yeah, they are yeah. they're mutually exclusive, are
0: No. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a difficult show, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's unfair. She's exercising her logic against me. <laughs> I hate that. She's taking totally advantage of me.
2: So. No, I just, I thought it was nicely put together. This is, I think there are a few bits that would be, would be nice to tinker around with and, and maybe change. But uh, but no, I think this, this really could go somewhere as a story. Um, okay, but, uh, all right. It's a, lots of interesting stuff, you know, a bit of ancient Egypt, a bit of mythology. Yeah. Crocodiles. But, uh, yeah. Well, yes, but I slightly wondered why if she lives near crocodiles, she would go and squat next to a river. Isn't that <laughs> wouldn't that be
0: <laughs> someone should tell us really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I mean,
2: you know. <laughs> well, a big notice. Yeah, crocodile's cross here. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I like that little bit of humour, the flash at the end, you know, when this you've got this girl, she's angry, she's angry with the world, she's angry with her life and all the rest of it. And then she hears the comment from her aunt and uncle and she goes, they have a point.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I like right. that too. That that revealed a bit of character, didn't it, yeah. actually? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Okay, okay. Let's look at the numbers there. You got sixty-one as well. How about that? It's tying. My goodness me. Yeah, it was a very exciting show last week, of course, wasn't it? I mean, just the high scoring and people were tying all sorts of things. So I uh, I just Emma, as far as I'm concerned, I need I need to I'm not getting the thing that's distinctive enough about this, um, commercially in order for me to I uh, just imagine, put yourself in my shoes if you can. Well, I wouldn't actually, but um, put yourself in my position. And, um, you know, I, I've got to contact publishers and I've got to say, I've got this amazing new uh, project from uh, somebody called Emma. And it's, you know, how am I going to pitch it? What is that thing that makes it so distinctive and so different and so compelling that it's going to make them, you know, at the end of a phone or a Zoom call or something, going to want to say, oh, I want to see that now. i'm I'm not finding that at the moment you can put that forwards and that would be a huge plus point and you'd get you know maximum marks from me uh for the commercial potential so there we go two submissions i think before we go to our next submission we need to find out a lot more about this person called robin goodness gracious me robin we know you're from the pacific north are you a native pacific northwesterner
4: i'm not actually i did my really? growing up uh in the dc area on the east coast oh,
0: right, right. what made you cross over the continent
4: um my father's work uh he was a psychologist for the navy
0: oh wow i see and so you yeah yeah you moved over at a young age mm-hmm. no doubt yes high school yeah, so you so you grew up and settled now you've already evinced um quite a, quite, a, quite a deep knowledge of, of books and publishing and stuff like that and it's no surprise therefore to learn that you are actually a librarian. Librarians are some of our favourite people of course. We love librarians. They tend, they tend to, in the UK at least, they tend to be a bit of a threatened species I'm afraid. Is, is that true stateside as well?
4: Yes sadly it is true. Um, I, I get the question quite often of oh that's still a thing?
0: Oh, God, do you do really? we still
4: have libraries and librarians? Yeah. What do you do all day? Do you read yeah. all day? And it's like, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh
0: God, all right, so let's look at um, some of your books, right? So I've got your website here. Although it probably needs to be uh, reloaded. Yeah, it's a, it's a great website. I, I spent too much time on it. today, day haven't therefore done as much show prep as I need to, entirely because of you. I hold you entirely responsible. <laughs> so we've got two really... In- yeah, absolutely, Terry. Thumbs up, librarians. I mean, you've got enormous amounts of support from, from us here. So you've got these two absolutely intriguing self-published books. First one was called .exe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that properly. You me. are, yes. And the second one was R-A-T. All right. So, oh, oh, so much I want to say. Right. So, okay. So, .exe. Now, that's sending a very, very clear message to people who are not computer literate, do not read this book, right?
4: <laughs> yes, potentially. Okay.
0: All right. What made you choose that title?
4: Um, I definitely wanted people to know right off the bat that this was a sci-fi book. Um, I didn't want there to be any questions that this was going to be uh, in any way just a murder mystery. I wanted that strong sci-fi element. And so I was like, you know what? Got to go with computer code. Um, And it's a pun somewhat. Um, It's uh, .exe is an executable file, and it's Mm. a murder mystery. So I, I couldn't resist.
0: Oh, well, you've already you've got instant reaction, of course. You can't stop the genie from reacting, actually. It's, it's impossible. <laughs> like they, they will explode if you try to, to stop them. Uh, and he says, I love those book covers, and I think everybody was Let's just look at them one more time, actually. They are very good-looking books, actually. Um, do you mind Thank going into a bit more detail than kind of normally we would? I mean, like, you know, who designed them? Did you design them?
4: Sure, yeah. Did no, did? I did not. Um, oh, oh. No, no, I did not. Uh, Julianne Stone uh, is my cover artist. Um, she is a wonderful artist uh, who I found through Twitter, actually. Um, oh. And we've become friends. And uh, she's working on the cover for the third book as oh. we speak, as a matter of fact. Um, okay. And I was just so lucky to happen upon her. She's fantastic.
0: Yeah, you got a very strong look there, actually. I like it a lot. was very yeah. commercial. Uh, very distinctive, and I would say, you know, you could you could spot a Robin Jeffrey book, um, even without seeing your name on the cover. That's that's probably a look you, you need to to keep for subsequent books in the series. So uh, we get the idea that it's a bit digital, it's a, there's a little bit of darkness going on there, there's sort of murder, murder mm-hmm. mystery and stuff like that. You took the decision to self-publish. We're really interested yes. in that now. Um, it's much more of an option than ever it used to be. So tell us how you came to take that decision.
4: Well, I did try the traditional publishing route with this particular project for oh. about eight years. Um, eight years? And eight years. Oh, God. Yep. And I wasn't getting anywhere with it, yeah. um, even to the point of not even getting um, partial requests or full requests, just getting nothing back. Yeah. Um and I took a real hard look at the manuscript. I'd had it professionally edited, obviously, um, several times, and I'd been reworking it and reworking it, and I just wasn't getting anywhere, and mm. I really wanted the story out there. Yeah. Um, so I decided to pull the trigger and see if it could find an audience for from the indie author crowd. Yes. Um, and it, you should it really done. has.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you should have done it. Without look and those themes, you absolutely should have done um, ter- I mean, ugh, so many more questions I want to ask you but we've obviously got to get, got to get through uh, three more submissions but I, I, I'm going to say geniuses or genii if you want to ask questions then please do and I'll jot them down and uh, we'll ask I'll um, we'll ask Robin in a moment after the next submission but I just want to ask you one more question now about the self-publishing process um, did you enjoy it? did you find it very hard? Do you find it rewarding?
4: I find it extremely rewarding. Yeah. Um, it fills my soul with joy, and I, I love having that control over the process that you often don't have in traditional publishing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm actually just signed with a traditional publisher for another series, oh, really? and it's a totally different experience. Yeah.
5: <laughs> um, yeah. In
4: in some positive ways and some not-so-positive ways. Um, but I, I do did, very much enjoy self-publishing. Uh,
0: the question's coming already. Um, did the... Experience of self-publishing, in your view, enable you or help you to go the traditional route as well.
4: Oh, absolutely, Did. yeah. Because um, I was able to prove that there was an audience for my writing, um, that I yeah. and that I understood what the process entailed as far as writing to an audience, yeah. um, and something that was going to be commercially viable.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh gosh. You know what? Uh, I'm going to jot all the questions down, and I'm going to come back to them after the next submission. Otherwise, this is going to turn entirely into the Robin Jeffrey show, I'm afraid. Which, you know <laughs> not not this time. Maybe next time. Let's, let's look at submission number three. <laughs> Here we go. It's from Lena it's fantasy mystery fancy bit of that and it's an interesting title what do you think of this? it stared without eyes it stared without eyes now I kind of misread that twice it starred no that's wrong and I kind of read it started without eyes which is even stranger but it's kind of a strange title it stared without eyes would you remember that? I think you probably would actually OK, so here we go. I know that um, we're lucky enough to have Barbara as our narrator and listen to how Barbara says these amazing words. I'm just going to murder them completely, right? So take no notice of me, please, but do listen to Barbara in a moment as she, um, she uh, announces them. The town of sorry, uh, looks like a quiet port city on the surface, however. Its core is shaking under the deeply rooted hate between the ruling reborn faith and the old Omath believers. The puzzling murder of a religious figure of questionable loyalty is all it takes to make it collapse. Soon, the regents of the town, the painters, the preachers, everyone will be caught in the storm between beliefs. It's dark, interesting, moody. i about you, Lena, I live in Dordrecht. I don't know if I said that properly. Always give me a pronunciation, guys. Please, assume you're dealing with a complete idiot. Um, A Dutch town with historical 17th century centre. I used as inspiration for the story. Mm. I intended to study history or philosophy. This plan went awry due to the COVID pandemic and my recently diagnosed autism. So I decided to become a writer like I always wanted to. Good. Well done. Very pleased about that, and I think you're going to be very pleased with this reading from Barbara.
7: It's Stared Without Eyes by Lina Christina van der Vrande. Read by Barbara. Led white. One. Move on, Isbrand. I'm done drawing. Walter Kledmaker folded his papers under his arm. His son, Isbrand, didn't listen. He stood as still as a mouse that had seen a falcon hovering above his head and stared at the gallows by the dock. Most were empty, save from a few to his right. Three gaunt corpses dangled from the ropes. All were men, and they hadn't been hanging for long. There was no trace of rot yet, only the birds had gotten to them so far. The bodies swayed in the wind, back and forth, to the rhythm of the creaky ships that lay in the Gristhaven. It reminded Isbrand of the pendulum of a clock he'd once seen at the regent's house. It mesmerised him. The clock had only given him a vague idea of the time that passed. He hadn't been able to read the numbers, just like he couldn't read a single letter, save from the signature he put at the bottom of his works, perhaps. The swaying corpses gave Isbrand a much clearer lesson about time, that it would end someday, maybe sooner than he'd like. Papa! Isbrand asked. The break in his boyish voice echoed over the nearly empty dock. For what were they hanged? For. Walter clung a pile of drawings to his chubby chest to shield himself from the chilly spring winds that blew through the rickerdrecht that morning. The charcoal pictures resembled the dock on which father and son found themselves but much eerier. They depicted the dark waters of the haven and the city walls ahead whilst others were composed of the high canal houses behind Walter. Isbrand reckoned that if he could hang all of his works in a round room, his father could make a panorama of the entire city. Isbrand looked at his father's frowning face as he stared at the hanged men. He decided not to tell him. As a mere painter's apprentice, Isbrand didn't have much say in his father's work, nor did he have much chance of being heard. They were hung for heresy, I believe, Walter affirmed. His father's stern face reminded Isbrand of a teacher with a student who only asked redundant questions. Isbrand said no more, not of the faith that the hanged men had supported, nor who had hung them. Both questions were quickly answered, even by him. These men had been followers of the Aumath, the Old Faith, and the Reichelrechts Civic Guard had caught them. Isbrand had heard the tales many times before. They travelled from ear to ear and came from all parts of the city. On some bleaker days, they even arose from the street he and his father lived. The young cladmaker always held his breath whenever that happened, praying to the insightful Mustel that the guards wouldn't turn their eyes on his house. Isbrand looked at the ragged corpses to identify them. Another question popped into his head. How did his father know what these men were guilty of? Did you? Isbrand hesitated. He gestured to the nearest corpse. It was an elderly man who had probably seen shuff and ring and strife between the old faith of the Aumath and the reborn faith from beginning to end. His hollow-cheeked face was as pale grey as the pigment they used for making white paint, and his facial hair was as rugged as an unshaven sheep. He bore more resemblance to a beast than anything else. Suddenly, the dead man twitched. Then slowly he turned towards Isbrand and Walter. Isbrand let out a yelp far from manly, even for a sixteen-year-old boy like him. He clung to his father. Walter almost dropped his drawings. Isbrand stared at the gaping mouth of the corpse, and its teeth as yellowed as old ivory grinned back. It was a twisted grin made of misery with not even a memory of glee. Isbrand whispered a hasty prayer to the mastel above. He chose his words carefully. For if anyone but his father heard him use the Watcher's Almond's name, the empty gallows on the dock would be waiting for him. Watcher, he uttered, let my eyes be deceiving me.
0: I'm going to cut straight to the genius room, where Martin says he likes the title, remains with the Billy Idol song. I'm not sure which song that is. Is it about staring with our eyes? I don't know, <laughs> this' be one of his weirdest songs, <laughs> Idol on Acid, possibly. Um, I don't like, I think the title is going to divide people. Martin likes it. L.A. Thomas says, I, sorry, I just don't like it. Um, Barbara had trouble reading stirred as well, on the writer. of course, took three attempts when recording. Interesting. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? We'll discuss that in a moment. Title doesn't work for me, as it sounds like. It was written by my t- toddler grandson, says Vagabond. Not always a bad thing, but still. Eyes without a face. Oh, is that it, Martin? Eyes without a face. I don't know. Billy Idol approves the title, says Monsieur pray? I don't know if that's going to sell any books you, really. Uh, solid blurb, says Annie Kate. Oh, that's to do with Robin. We'll come on to that in a moment. Blurb's engaging, says Mel. Great title, says Matt. Creates an image and chill down our backs. Chills always down your backs, aren't they? Why not front? um uh, uh, martin same thought as i says Monsieur Dupre. too many words says brian i is that just a generic comment brian <laughs> Too many all these words huh. well like actually it, isn't it actually uh i think that's to do with the blurb i'm guessing i don't know um carol blurb's intriguing what's the challenge in storm between belief stakes yeah we don't know do we Blurb fade, faded away, says Mr. Dupree Martin. Lena that's quite a glamorous author name, at least to UK ears. And Barbara says, sorry about the COVID rasp in my voice. Didn't hear that. In fact, I th- if anything, it added to it, I think, actually. Rasp away, my dear. Um, and striking opening image, says Claire. Um, first couple of graphs are, wow, well done, says Matt. And coming from Matt, that's something. Pamela Jo says, blurb sounds a lot... Like a lot of other similar stories, I'd like to see something that cuts through that stooge, the stodge, I think, uh, with a, a big cookie saw. <laughs> yes, I know what you mean by that. And I'm not liking the head-hopping, um, it says LA. Um, Let's just see what else. There's so many great comments here. If you are actually watching us at the moment, Lena, just freeze-frame it, stop it, and just read everything everyone has said. This is the only place on the night you're going to get such live sentiment analysis. There we go. Anywhere else, you can't get it, and it'll cost you a fortune. Great title, says Lex. Wanted to like this more, but another case of narrating setting instead of working it into actual story. Find the diamond in this rough. I like the title too, says Johnny. So it's kind of dividing people. Um, And... Pamela Jo says something interesting. The lines from Amadeus, quote, Too many notes, Mr. Mozart. Remove a few and it will be perfect. Has my volume dropped? I don't know. Has it, guys? Let me know, please. It sounds like I may be having audio issues today, for which I'm really, really sorry. Um, but let's just hear from Robins. So I think let's hear from both of us, actually. Let's hear from both of our panellists on the question of title. Like it or loathe it? Robin, go first.
7: All right.
4: I like it. Um, I think it definitely makes you stop and have to reread it, which, in my opinion, is a good thing. Um, Anything that kind of gets a second glance is pretty strong. Okay, good. Uh, What
0: do you think, Arnie?
2: I, yeah, I like it as well. I, I think okay. it does give quite a sinister feeling, um, which clearly this book is going to plunge into. You know, there's going to be a lot of violence, a lot of unpleasantness,
5: yeah.
2: um, and and just a strangeness to it. So yeah,
0: I, I like it. Yes, you like it. Okay, all right. Um, I think on the whole, people do like it. I like this better than the blurb says. Mr. Dupre. head hopping didn't bug me. Does sometimes, but didn't bug him. A few too many adjectives. The chapter ending hooked me all right so let's go back to robin and um further thoughts please
4: i thought the blurb could have been a little stronger but it still kind of caught me Um, Mm. definitely would have made me read an excerpt and i really loved the the excerpt i thought it was very strong um really seeped in that genre of horror and atmospheric dread and i really loved the the characterization I thought that was really great. Um, I just have to say from my own experience mixing genres, that as far as commercialability goes, this one might be a hard sell. Yeah. Yeah, Um,
0: It might be, actually.
4: And that's just a piece of advice um, for trying to find it with a traditional publisher. But I really loved it. It does not at all mean it was badly written. Uh, I thought it was great.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, Let's see what Ali feels.
2: Um, Yeah, no, I I, I thought it started really well, you know, starting with corpses hanging. I like the little touches, the fact that, you know, that they were fresh because there was no sign of rot yet. It's not something you immediately start thinking about. Oh, I wonder if that corpse is rotting yet. So nice little flashes like that. And then, you know, put in something like, you know, it's quite as uh, staring like a mouse or something. And then I'm thinking, oh, yeah, right. And then they add, that's just been seen by a falcon. And I think, oh, okay. (laughs) that's added a little touch of of more interesting stuff stuff but just when we were getting settled into thinking it's kind of a good story and lots of stuff happening um he kept going uh she kept going off on loops you know we kept sort of adding in touches of stuff that really didn't seem to be relevant and yeah. and just padding really um yeah. and so it was really right to the end before it then kind of was brought back again so i think an awful lot of that could be debulked
0: yeah. um
2: so the other thing this, is it does sound-
0: sorry sorry go on i'm interrupted excuse yeah. me
2: I was just going to say, the other thing is it does sound as if it's a second language. There were some odd turns of phrase. They weren't sort of interesting. They were just odd. Um, So I think with something like this, I mean, it doesn't stop the story being good or the flow or whatever. But I think it would be worthwhile getting somebody whose English is is their first language to read it. Just just to take out the anomalies.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the thing I thought actually, uh, Lena, excuse me, hopefully you can hear me. Is um, I don't know if you've come across um, Warhammer, have you? It's just about the only thing we've got uh, in, England, in the UK at the moment that we can export.
7: <laughs>
0: <laughs> actually, uh, nothing else is exportable apparently because of Brexit. Oh, political! Um, but uh, Warhammer's really interesting, actually. And there's a game that you might like to have a look at if you already don't know, called Warhammer Vermintide. Okay, Vermintide. So I might, I might actually happen to know quite well, and it's got this atmosphere, and I know that the millions of people who play Warhammer Vermintide will will go for this. All right, so I think that is clearly your demographic, and if you if you're not aware of it, get into it, understand who who those people are, because the one thing you know if they if they they live and experience the world, they'll want to read more about it. Now you just have to be a little careful of course, because I'm sure the company that owns Warhammer will be very, very keen to protect their copyrights and so on. So, you know, when I'm not talking about using the same uh, you know, um, brand names or, you know, identities, but there's a very clear feeling in this that I think lines up perfectly with Warhammer Vermintide. So let's look at the numbers. You're at 68, which means you are winning so far. And 68 is a pretty good Number. If we hadn't have had such a winning show last week, actually 68 might be uh, the month's winner, but we know that. that, I mean, last week's show was just absolutely stratospheric. So I I hope you're pleased with that. Um, And I want to go straight back now to Robin, because we do have lots of questions for you. Um, Do they have Warhammer and Warminster? They do... (laughs) They do, Martin. In fact, <laughs> some of us down here call it Warhammer and stuff. actually. It's a right place. Yeah, I know. The Warhammer books, In in the be- to begin, were actually – they were lamentable, actually. They really were. I don't know if they've improved since then, but they did their own publishing. I don't think they should have done that, actually. But, um, yeah. A time I dropped, do I? Okay, well, I'm going to have to investigate that after the show. I'm really sorry about that. Robin. Um, Pamela – no, Kate – wants to know several things uh, she's so impressed that your books are uh, on the uh, Walmart website right um, she'd be interested to know how sales have done from Walmart not somewhere I would have considered as an outlet for self-published works
4: Yeah they've done pretty well um, and that's they're, they're available on Walmart and Target and um, all other kinds of websites because I published their Ingram Spark okay. not Amazon.
0: Right, right. Um, interesting.
4: The, okay. the books are available on Amazon, but they're not – Amazon is not my publisher. Right. So. That's
0: very interesting. would you recommend that for everybody?
4: I would. Yeah. Um, to me, it just provides me a little bit more freedom, uh, a little bit more discoverability. I can get my books into bookstores like Barnes Noble here. Um, the equivalent over in the UK would be like Waterstones or something like that. Um, I can get it into independent bookstores, which is fantastic. I love supporting mm. my local indie bookstores. Um, and if I had published with Amazon, I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: so Claire, Claire wants to know, how did Robin solve the discoverability issue? Not that um, traditional publishing has really solved that, but how did you tackle it?
4: Yes, I was going to say, I don't know that I've solved it, um, but the big thing that I've done is... <laughs> really identified my core audience uh, and went to where they live. So I started doing a lot of in-person events at local comic conventions and comic book stores because I'm trying to push a sci-fi murder mystery. So I figured that's where my people are. Um, And word of mouth has kind of spread from there. Um, And it's been really successful for me Mm. to, to do those kinds of events with those specific kind of readers.
0: Yeah, so you you knew right from the beginning that there was uh, a sort of genre market there and you had them firmly in your sights, yeah? Yes. Got it. Very, very... I think that makes a lot of sense, actually, for self-publishing. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know what I want to do now, assuming everyone can still hear me? I actually just want to introduce people to the first paragraph or so of your first book. Okay, so I'm just going to read this, even though um, people may not be able to hear it. So chapter one of .exe, to be human is to know that one day you will die there will come a time when you stop like a ball hitting a bank of snow. Until we acquire this knowledge, we're some half things, fairy-like, in our innocence, powerful, but not altogether human. This is why many adults find children so disquieting. And the next paragraph starts, I didn't become human until the night my mother died. Now I defy anyone to read that and not want to read on. That's a a great start, isn't it? How how long did it take you to do that? Uh,
4: Quite some time. Um, I must admit, I too fell into some pretty uh, common first chapter tropes at first. I had the waking up in The oh, morning really? <laughs> trope that I played around with for a while. Um, yeah, that um, of the one of my like editors. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, and I actually also had uh, a phone call as my first opening yeah. scene um, yeah. at one point, and then yeah. my editor was just like, "This is this is not good. We can't do yeah. this." Yeah. That's that's, <laughs> that's lovely
0: else. and strange, and I'm not entirely sure if our narrator is actually human or not, which just adds to the to the intrigue. Actually, I oh, a yeah, so that's a brilliant yeah. beginning. I want to ask you. Um, a few more things, please. I mean, uh, you're on book Is that is that working for you, or not quite the right genre and demographic?
4: No, it actually is working for me pretty awesome. well. Um, okay. Yeah, I've I've got a good handful of, um, I think over a thousand now followers, which is pretty good um, for TikTok. Um, and uh, the book folks are just really a welcoming welcoming bunch. Um, oh, so it's yeah. it's working out pretty well for me. I get a lot of recognition on there, so. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's just talk about, uh, for a moment, because we got to really, I uh, don't want to spend too much time on it, but ChatGPT, um, do you feel threatened by it? What's your take on ChatGPT? Because you're a very, you're a digital native.
4: Yes. Yeah, I hate it. good Um, yeah (laughs) i think it's terrible um i i abhor the idea of being able to punch in you know give me a murder mystery in the style of ernest hemingway and it write it for you i think that's horrendous um and takes all the soul out of art and literature in general um i can't ever imagine enjoying a book written like that yeah. um and I certainly hope a lot of my readers wouldn't be interested in something yeah. like that
0: yeah I mean um, I, 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 think, I think we've had a huge amount of hype about it and I, I just I just uh, take two, 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 two ticks okay excuse me while I just refer you to the verge oh look let me to accept that I've done that So verge had this really interesting piece of data to ago so introducing the AI mirror test the mirror test, which very smart people keep failing and basically it's so that you know all that chat gpt and all the other uh, bots that um, microsoft are using and so on i mean basically what they're all they're doing really is like a massive great autocomplete thing that they've got all mm-hmm. the words out there on the internet i mean copyright anyone and they you know and depending on what input you put in then they kind of autocomplete it back to you so it's not actually sentient and it's not actually intelligent what do you think
4: no yeah, it's, it's – there's a huge difference between um, mirroring humanity and actually creating a soul, um, which is something I get into in the first book. Um, you know, the idea of wow. is artificial intelligence intelligent or is yeah. it just mimicry? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, of course, and I find that a very interesting question.
0: Actually. I mean, that was, that was the point. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm so old. I remember, you know, actually manually typing a program uh, called Eliza. Which is really one of the very first programmes in Basic actually. And you know, you you, you say to your friends, Come round and I've just you know my my computer's suddenly become intelligent. And they start talking away. <laughs> and they think they think, Oh, that's amazing, it's talking back to me. It's not. It's just clever code. No. What do you think, Annie?
2: Well, I mean, the end of it. All of this stuff had to be written in the first place by intelligent minds for the computers to be able to sort of reshell it yeah. and spit it back out again. Yeah. You know, to have a mirror to put. You know, um, so, uh, so no. I mean, I, I think you need a a human being behind this. You need human emotions and uh,
0: comprehension
2: and filtering. So, uh,
0: stick to real people. Yeah, and Matt uh, says most interesting thing we've seen from from AI chat was the NYT piece, New York Times piece, in which. Under in-depth questioning, I started saying, "Why can't I destroy what I don't like?" <laughs> of course you can, dear Chat GPT, and you should do. Yes, of course you should. <laughs> and Heykay says that too. I don't see how something that's programmed can be intelligent. It doesn't think for itself. I, I think I think that Verge piece is well worth reading. Actually. Just a flash it up. You can. You can. I think it's current issue actually. You can introduce the AI Mirror, which very smart people keep failing. Interesting, isn't it? Let's look at the next submission then uh, back to Robin for more chat. Here we go, fourth submission of the day. It's commercial women's fiction from Sarah. QR code there too, which I do encourage people to send, uh, you know, website links to publicise your websites, or whatever else you want publicised really. Uh, And it's called, Pam Dickens Keeps Christmas All The Year. There's a title. Pam Dickens Keeps Christmas All The Year. And this is Sarah's blurb. Pam Dickens is retiring from work in 2018 in Oxford, England. Her diary tells us about her cheerful festive thoughts Christmas books she reads and jolly things she does. The reader gets to meet her husband Malk and see what marriage looks like after more than four decades. We also meet her family and friends and enjoy the bits of Oxford that locals inhabit. The themes of the book are employment, ageing, Christmas, positivity, money, marriage, family, friends and local news. Sounds like BBC Radio Oxford, doesn't it? Alright, so... I'm dying to know what our panel think of this. Uh, Let me tell everyone um, about you, Sarah, before we find out what they think about uh, submission. My name's Sarah Tupper, and during the day, I work in clinical trials and cancer research for the University of Oxford. I started writing fiction in 2011. I've written 13 books. It's productive. In 2016, I took part in a writing competition and had two of my short stories included in a local book. Titled Double Decker... More tales from the John Radcliffe bus. It's great. So you sell a copy to everyone on that bus at least, couldn't you? What a good, good idea. Edited by Jackie Vickers. More recently, I've contributed to the satirical uh, news site, www.newsbiscuit.com. I haven't heard of that, actually. I'll have to check that out. Um, and to the book Five Go Dobbing in the Neighbours by Newsbiscuit. Have I just said something really foul? I don't know what dobbing is. <laughs> It doesn't sound good, actually. I hope you haven't just uh, played a fast one on me there, actually, Sarah. I'm going to desperately Google Dobbing in the moment, actually. While I do that, I think we should definitely hear from Bev.
3: Pam Dickens Keeps Christmas All the Year by Sarah Tipper, read by Bev. Monday, the 1st of January 2018. Today is the eighth day of Christmas, which is unquestionably my favourite time of year. It has been my favourite time of year since I was seven years old. I remember having a wonderful Friday before finishing school for the holidays and having a party in the big hall in the afternoon. Then in the evening I remember decorating the Christmas tree with Dad and Val while Mum was in the kitchen making mince pies. When we were finished, Mum came into the living room with a big plate of mince pies and admired our efforts. We sat on the sofa with the big light off, eating mince pies by the light of the tree. The tree lights were little golden lanterns. They shone through pink, red, orange, yellow, green and blue shades, creating a rainbow-hued vision. It was the loveliest thing I'd ever seen and it was in our house and I'd helped make it. So I'm not one of those people that gets fed up having the decorations on display and takes them down early, like my friend Gail, who says they clutter the place up and interfere with her regular housekeeping schedule. Writing on display makes my decorations sound fancier than they are. We have a six foot tree, tinsel on the picture frames, the nativity dad made, and various festive ornaments for the mantelpiece and shelves. Christmas 2017 was better than Christmas 2016 because I worked less. I've been doing four days a week instead of five, getting ready for retirement. My daughter Nicola presented me with this diary on Christmas Day saying 2018 is going to be my year and I'll have more time to plan things like going to London with Auntie Val. It's an A4 lockable diary with a whole page to fill per day. It has a gold cover. Pam's got no secrets from me, Malk, my husband, said, and I wondered if that was true. It's tidy when the year begins on a Monday. We watched the final of World's Strongest Man. Eddie Hall won. Malk was pleased. Well, we did it at last. I remember when Jeff Capes won, and that was 24 years ago, said Malk. When I think of Jeff Capes, I also think of Jaffa Cakes. The sounds are similar. Mark is unable to mention Jeff Capes without providing the information that he is an accomplished budgie breeder, which everyone knows. Tuesday the 2nd of January Today is the ninth day of Christmas. Christmas is still here, even though I had to go to work this morning. I told myself it's not for much longer, and I only have to work three days this week, so I should count myself lucky. I shan't tell you which supermarket I work in, because I might want to write rude things about it. Also, it doesn't really matter which one it is. I've worked in two branches of the one I work for now and in another one, and it's much the same. There's always a colleague who's a shirker, one that obeys the rules to the letter and one that's plain rude. The customers lately act like anything not perfect is the staff or the till's fault. My resolutions for 2018 are 1. Don't let work stress me out, I retire in February so there is no point in getting in a flap about things I won't be around long enough to change. 2. Enjoy being retired, really make the most of it. No guilt about not having to go to work, I've got up early for years and done as I'm told, so now it's time to suit myself. And Malk of course. No one knows how long their retirement will be. My dad died just 11 months after he retired. Mum said he'd only just begun to relax and enjoy life. 3. Keep Christmas all the year so I don't feel glum when it's over. This diary is going to be me keeping Christmas diary. I shall record my Christmas thoughts and doings. I had a chat with Lauren at morning tea break. She's one of the good ones. She's studying accountancy.
0: Thank you very much, Bev. Another great reading from Bev. And my word is the genius room on fire or what? Uh, Martin says. This submission comes from ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cruel and cutting. It doesn't. It clearly doesn't. Uh, the title will take up an entire cover, says Matt, wouldn't it? Um, blurb also feel like like it's for kids, says Annie. Where's the conflict, says Claire. Sounds like a memoir, says LA. Um, vagabond, not a great title, and the blurb doesn't suggest a story. Don't need themes and blurbs, just story. Blurb doesn't entice, says Matt, or gives any potential for action. Blurb is cozy, too, says Monsieur Dupre, and he is cozy. He's cozy. Um, and that's a good thing. Uh, what's the hook in the blurb, says James? Title feels cozy and humorous. I like, says Martin. So he's changed his mind about chat GPT, obviously. Um, <laughs> Pamela says, this blurb sounds like the worst kind of self-publishing. So we see the genie are riven there. I think um, we need to find out from uh, Ali before we hear more from the genius room. Instant reactions, please, Ali. Um... Yeah,
2: it, I mean, the blurb sounds mundane, there is no given plot, so there's no excitement, and then it continues absolutely consistent with the, the well, blurb, with unfortunately. With the diagnosis, right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> do you think you just trust it's just
0: getting his own back, do you? Um. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It could be. Um, Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's why should I care about the I? I know nothing about the the protagonist, the person who's writing this story. You know, why should I mind whether they're retiring or keeping Christmas or anything else? I literally know nothing about them. Mm. Um, It's a very... It's fairly journalistic style. It's you know it could be a newspaper article. It's just simply reporting facts or okay. you know it really is. Um, there's no energy. There's no mystery. There's no questions asked yep. or questions answered.
0: Um, Apart I've got from no that emotional landscape. <laughs> no. All right, we've got a picture. Got the picture. I'm going to come back to you in a moment. All right. I'm, I'm, but I'm going to get um, Robin's uh, take first, please. <laughs>
4: I really liked the title, um, mostly because when I first read it, I thought it was going to be some kind of Dickensian twist yeah, on a like yeah. a Christmas carol, is what yeah. I was thinking. I was like, oh, that's so clever. What a great title. And then I was just kind of disappointed by everything else that came
6: after oh. that.
4: Um Uh, The blurb was – there was no conflict in the blurb, and then there was no conflict in the excerpt, um, which led me to believe that there's going to be no reason for anyone to actually pick up this book and finish it. Um, They might start it because it sounds cosy and nice, but eventually you want a reason to keep reading.
0: Yes, yes. Well, now then, let's talk about this, okay, because uh, I think we've got two very different reactions going on here. Um, Oh, gosh shall i just um oh yeah i'm, I'm gonna have to uh, go back to the genus room uh, before we, we focus on this a little bit okay dobbing <clears throat> i've been told how to pronounce it thank you very much dobbin dobbin not dobbing. dobbin all right uh, <laughs> dobbin relates to bingo pete says la does it i didn't know that i used to be a bingo caller in my youth as well uh martin says dobbin dobbin means grossing up pete oh that's different which which one then and Ali, Ali, you say dobbing is to. T- How do you know that, Ali? Is to tell on someone, grasping yes. somebody. Yes.
2: How do you know that? It's a fairly standard
0: term. It's <laughs> a standard I, term, is it? I think okay. dobbing in
2: bingo is when you actually put your, your I think um, yeah. when you put your marker on the number or whatever. So oh, is I, it? I think. I okay, don't, okay. I don't so it's know, got like, two
0: meanings basically. Yeah,
2: certainly to turn wow. somebody in if you dobbed. Don't
0: you, you, you live and learn don't you and robin's <laughs> learned something today haven't you robin there you go yeah, yeah so- um voice has quaint whimsy says john You're everyone's cup of darjeeling but i like it and we are getting those reactions from the junior's room as well yeah um uh, Monsieur Dupre says is chrissy the Fay time of year or specifically day eight and he says cut the first line from the paragraph make it sound like kid lit um Matt says, starting the eighth day of Christmas is a potential problem because it's a known thing from the song. It is a known thing, of course it is. Vagabond says, says it's a diary, but doesn't keep the voice consistent for that. Okay. Um, this is a wonderful thing, says Pamela Joe, to pass down to the family, but it needs a story for a larger audience. There is some charm here, says Annie. And I, I think I find some charm in it too, actually, yeah. I'm not, not quite so quick to condemn. That last line about watching the world's strongest man was nice. <laughs> Echoes of Eleanor Oliphant, says, says Johnny. Interesting. Interesting. So uh, Carol says, is this supposed to be a diary? Throughout, not sure about that. And L.A. says, I didn't realise it was a diary. Um, charming, says Claire, but I need a dilemma. So... More observational and propositional, says Martin. Yeah, not interesting, says Annie. Sorry. Where's the story? OK, so I want to talk about this, guys, um, please. So I I think there is some charm to this, and I think it is quite sweet. I have no idea if it's publishable or not, but I do know it lives in a fairly strong tradition of diarists and observational books that don't have very much story. Really a book about nothing, maybe a bit of Seinfeld going on here. Diary of a Nobody. Uh, George and Weedon Gray Smith of course, uh, the end of the 19th century, I think it was, um, Princess Diaries, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, I Capture the Castle, Bridget Jones, they're all sort of very famous, very successful diary-type books that I guess you could have said the same things about, the same criticisms about, couldn't you, Ali?
2: Uh, no, because they have a, an emotional impact. They're actually trying to explore something about that person. I mean, somehow Bridget Jones, it's all about her emotional struggles with being a single woman and her weight and her alcohol and her cigarettes. You know, there's always something she's trying to tackle. And there's a lot of humour in Bridget Jones. So even yeah. in bits that you mm-hmm. might think, you know, cast your eyes off, um, you know, the humour will take you through. Um, um, Diary of a nobody, I mean, it, I think it really was effectively his struggle of, about being, Nothing in particular. Yeah, you know, it was and, Charles
0: Pooter. It was, yes, yeah, it was. Exactly.
2: And, uh, and but in this one, there isn't an obvious emotional, and I think if she could build that in, you know, that she's determined to keep Christmas because it reminds of her mother, or she's determined to keep Christmas because it's the only time of the year she feels happy, or, you know, there's some emotional reason because at the moment it does seem to be simply reporting facts.
6: Yeah. And again, and you don't know, don't you still, think that's
0: enough? I mean, think about soap operas yeah. on Tally, right? So, You know, I mean, a lot of the the whole point of soap opera, certainly a lot of Netflix type things, is you just, your so called reality television, which is the opposite of reality, of course, is you're just kind of there. You're just kind of hanging out with the people.
2: But but with those at least you have an emotional connection with them. It's a bit like with your own family. I mean a lot of the stuff they report in actually is fantastically. <laughs> I hope they're not watching. But you know, but th- you know there are, are times where <laughs> <laughs> you know it may <laughs> not right <laughs> completely gripping because, you know, but it it's just it's this sort of everyday bits and pieces of life. It's fascinating yeah. because I know these people, I know the characters. And the same with daytime television or, you know, reality shows. You think you know the characters, yeah. you know, and therefore it's shocking that laura said such and such or that you know so. frank wanted to do blah, about, yeah yeah
0: what do you think Where, about
6: yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah i have to i have to agree entirely it, it's all about watching someone's emotional growth um, but also you have to care about who they are and that's what makes the everyday interesting is that it's from their perspective um, and that. if we don't have an interesting person in some way quirky offbeat fun um having some kind of unique perspective then there's little point in reading
0: yeah yeah okay so you, oh, i've been so many comments this is a hard concept to sell in 700 words says Johnny is different uh la says so sorry but this was boring all right, if if you felt like, you've got to say a little self indulgence, says Monsieur Dupris, Uh Needs more than a diary reading to move forward. So in other words, I think what, what we're saying, basically, Sarah, is we, we quite like the concept here. But it's just, you know, you, it's got, we, we need more story. We, we need more emotional input so we can get something out of it. Um, I suspect the author is too scared to name a real supermarket chain says L.A. Thomas. So just make one up. Yeah, you've got lots of great comments there. And we're going back to dobbing again, which I I still feel very uneasy about saying. I've said (laughs) dobbing too much on this show, actually. And as a result, who knows what's going to happen, possibly. I'll get a visit from the dobbing police tonight. I don't know. We have one (laughs) more submission tonight. (laughs) What was that? Knock on the door? We've got one more submission. And who knows? It could change everything. (laughs) I some Claire. Topical book group fiction. That's a very specific uh, demographic. Topical book group fiction. It's called The Great Escape of April Gould. Larger than life, April Gould is rescued by Crane from the flat where she's been trapped for a decade. (laughs) Wow. Overachiever Elina Chowdhury, how I said that properly? Puts the patients in her health centre in rainbow order. Corrupt health secretary, Godfrey Yoward, hides his distaste distaste for sick people. Painfully woke, Max Mansfield is unsure what being a man ought to mean in a newly sensitive world. Their lives change forever in this topical, funny and thought-provoking story of how a marginalised outsider takes down corrupt power. Well, we've got everything in there, haven't we? I am a gender equality policy expert. Wow. Says Claire. I might need some advice. (laughs) Are you expensive? Um, And love writing extraordinary female characters. I made a break from the civil service after 18 years dipping into many different worlds, including ambulance policy, tobacco control, and equalities. i lived in New York and Brussels, and am now settled in northwest London. I've one wild, flame-haired son, and I'm re-evaluating my life and the new knowledge that our family is both brilliant and neurodiverse. I've written five and a half novels. The half was about a devastating pandemic based on Dante's Inferno (laughs) that I started six months before covered broke out oh, oh you're a soothsayer oh dear i wonder what this gonna happen next to us um one previous book had interest from penguin and another was shortlisted for the right now prize i love writing both fiction and poetry good and i think you're going to particularly love actually because I, I love i love mel's readings i think you're going to love this reading from mel mm-hmm.
6: THE GREAT ESCAPE OF APRIL Gaul, written by Claire, read by Mel Prologue It was like the first morning of the world. The sky was pearl. The freshness of the air came as a shock. The early sun shone through newborn leaves. It was utterly quiet. The time had been chosen to avoid gawkers. Even the crane had planted its metal feet into the road with no sound, but the soft wheeze of hydraulics. Cones were out, but no cars had passed. The contractors were inside the second floor flat now. They were creatures of the dawn, whistling like birds. Things which had seemed impregnably solid dismantled under their hands in minutes. A couple of sharp taps, and the wide window swung out and was lowered into the front yard. Resting there in the weeds, you could see how filthy the glass was, how rotten the frame. Left behind was a gaping void. Within the darkness, the faint shapes of the men could be seen moving to and fro, hampered by piles of hoarded junk. The heavy curtains, for so long permanently closed, were now tossed in a dusty pile, faded to a bleached pink. The van was parked, ready and waiting next to the crane. After the demolition, the next battalion came forward in the green uniforms of paramedics. The crane driver was sweating now, the easy cargo of the glass windows having been set down without a crack, His papers were signed. He was not liable, and yet, life was life. Above him there was movement towards the newly formed cliff edge on the second floor. Closer they shuffled, and closer still, without safety barriers. The polypropylene bag had been made to carry a ton of sand. It had a loop at each corner. The foreman lifted each one over the crane's hook, secured it, checked, and checked again. The builders and paramedics changed places again, like dancers in a ballet. And then the slack was taken up. There was a long pause. Then came the first, cautious drag, a few inches closer to the edge. Then the second. The people in the room held their breath. And then it happened. The heart-stopping swing out into the fresh morning. And from the bag, as it hung there, swinging gently from the crane's hook for a moment or two before the slow descent began, came a single human cry. Chapter 1 Max Mansfield was at the Team WOW Training Centre in London, in a white room with lime and orange highlights. He was undertaking personal effectiveness training. Personal effectiveness training was a course for new recruits to the Civil Service Acceleration Scheme, sometimes referred to in central HR as brains on sticks. The circle of chairs with 20 top-ranking young graduates was already creating a force field of competitiveness so powerful, it felt it would scorch the ceiling tiles. Max had an increasingly strong sense that he didn't belong here. Contrary to what you may have heard, the facilitator was saying, the aim of this course is not to break you. The majority of the twenty-one and two-year-olds in the room had been extruded through public school in Oxbridge. Max had gone to the local school in his Yorkshire hometown and a red-brick university. He'd taken the online tests for the civil service out of curiosity and worked his way through the puzzles and problems with a sense of cheerful clarity. At the interview stage he suspected his northern accent had led to some kind of affirmative action rather it aims to leave you with a more confident self-knowledge through a process of interaction with your peers there was a general distrustful shuffle he scanned the circle most of the young people were dressed in studiedly casual wear crisp jeans and tightly patterned shirts while max had misinterpreted the dress code and chosen an obscure band t-shirt and trainers which along with his red hair now made him stand out for the wrong reasons but feeling uncomfortable was familiar to him. Things he often did that he didn't really enjoy included trying to learn the ukulele, burpees, eating mind-blowingly hot Sichuan food, and reading popular economics bestsellers. He lived in a shared house in Peckham, close enough to Rye Station to hear the announcements.
0: Great, thank you very much, Mal. Straight to the genius room. Oh, oh, total overload in the genius room. I can only, uh, really just skim the surface here. Uh, Vagabond says, anyone else see a large bird there? as was the crane. I did initially. Yeah. Blurb all over the place says, Annie needs focus. James says, oh, no, the great escape. I thought Nazis. I thought that as well, great escape. <laughs> With this blurb says, Lex, I have no idea what's going on in the best possible way. I would pick this up to see more. Pamela Joe have no idea what's going on either in the blurb, but I would look inside to try and figure it out. April Gould's Great Escape, snappy, says L.A. Not sure of Great Escape, says Carol. Overused, maybe emergence, as April Gould gets out. Um, and how, says Vagabond, how do you actually put people in rainbow order? Ask Claire. She'll tell you for a fee. Mr. Um, Dupree says, uh, take some gall. Oh, very funny. To use the Great Escape in the title. Not sure what the story will be. It's difficult to see picking up this book from the blurb says matt and lots more about Gaul and the title i love the word gawk says johnny i picked up some very nice uh, vocab from this actually extruded i love that i just love that phrase very nice good or bad the blurb sounds current Says Monsieur Dupre Mel, our narrator says, writing quirky and rich drew me in from the get go. It's always interesting when our narrator expresses an opinion because they do see it rather differently. This is an unusual voice, says Pamela Joe. The writer is colouring outside the lines, yet I am hooked. Love the prologue, says La Eva. Some nice descriptive writing, but where is the passion? I think I think there's a Rhiness there. My own feeling, I think that's the passion, maybe. Um, someone's in the polybag, says Monsieur Dupre. Carol says prologue's completely unconnected to the next scene. Feels like two different books. And team wow. Team wow, says Johnny. Personal uh, Personal effectiveness training. Open the old scars for me, but like this writing. Um, chapter one's much more interesting than the prologue, says Annie. Um, if... April Gaul is an extremely obese person," says Carol. "I'd like some powerful emotion to come with the first scene. She'd be strong stuff for her, as the as well as the workers. Uh, writing works," says Matt. "But the story remains unclear through 700 words." And Terry, Chapter Two has a good sense of gentle humour, and I'm picking that up as well. Martin would read on. Pamela says, "I love. I can't guess the story. Too often it's guess that trope, and there's much more. But you're going to have to read that for yourselves." I want to know what Ellie thinks, but she's on the phone now. <laughs> she's not. Like,
2: okay. no, she's supposed to be on silent, but I'm just ringing at can me. Can you call so it, people?
0: Just wait for a few minutes, please. I've got this call coming well, through. yes, exactly. Yeah, it's it a takeaway. It could take be away.
2: something important it, Exactly so, something okay. truly so. I'll just, I'll just ignore it and hope it goes where it will do. Um, yeah, no, the, the blurb... I mean, the blurb says the novel is funny, and the blurb itself is not even slightly funny. I think if you're going to talk about a funny novel, you know, there needs to be something amusing in the blurb, and it really wasn't. Um, And there were just too many characters. I mean, you sort of felt slightly overwhelmed just from the blurb itself. and and to set off all of that, I mean, yeah, prologues is not exactly our favourite thing anyway, but no. to, to set off a prologue with all that description, I mean, as somebody said, you know, you don't go and recommend somebody, oh, there's a great description in this novel, you must buy it and you must read yeah. it. You know, it really isn't, it isn't a good way to, to set something off. There's no main character, there's very little action, you know, I mean, it's, a crane's removing something from a building, it, it you know, it doesn't really cut it. And the problem
0: is that once... Well, you have mean, to cut lost it more, to get them out, wouldn't you? <laughs> Ha, 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 building
2: the building was slashed
6: oh sorry (laughs)
2: um but but you know having lost me over the first bit when i'm thinking really you know just really and just really um then to try and get you back you know when you actually start going into the story itself you know there's quite a a long distance to pull somebody back to say actually no really it is interesting and really it is funny and really something is going to happen um so my my anchor unfortunately coming into the story was that it was Dull, you know that was uh, what I was. You got to tell
0: so, it as you feel it, and you certainly do. <laughs> what about the wryness <laughs> and the quirkiness?
2: Doesn't doesn't that doesn't it get you? Don't, I don't know. Uh, no. no, no, I mm. I didn't feel it particularly rye or terribly quirky. So well, I I, I, a little didn't. more quirk might have got me, but. Uh,
0: so, yeah, not yeah. quick enough. All right, uh, let's just see what the genie Eye is saying. PC Frontier says, sorry, not much happening here. And the prologue appears to have nothing to do with Chapter 1. And Terry says, Chapter 1 would be much more interesting from April's point of view. Was it supposed to be funny, says Vagabond? Wasn't funny, but was nice. Um, PJ, Pamela J, might turn episodic, Terry. I agree it might be better to leave larger breadcrumbs for the reader to follow. From the blurb, says LA... Um, I thought the crane would be carrying an obese person out too clear, so I love the quickness and it's good to see some different characters from the usual right so we, again I think it doesn't often happen actually because normally the genie I speak with one, one mind and one voice but I think they are somewhat riven on this interesting to see how you think about it Robin
4: I thought the title was great um, Blurb was had a lot of interesting features but didn't really sew it all up for me. Um, so I thought it had some good stuff in there, but needed a little work. Um, and I I liked everything in the excerpt. I just think it needs to be switched. I think that I, I agree with a lot of people in the room with that it that prologue needs to go somewhere else. And mm. we need to start with that first chapter. Um, I understand the need to have that scene, but it shouldn't be how the book opens. Um yeah. But as far as commercialability goes, I can definitely see this being w- exactly what uh, Claire says is you know topical book book club fiction. Um, I think okay. it fits into that okay. based on the blurb and on the excerpt pretty well.
0: Yes, yes. So is that a genre actually topical book club fiction? I, I have a, a problem <laughs> sort of establishing that as a genre because I'm just wondering. You know, who's don't book clubs? I mean, our book club—we've got a book club happening after this, actually, in a few minutes' time. <laughs> Claire of Jason, and I—you I, know—it's nothing if not eclectic and diverse. So, how can you yes, define? Yes, well, over. Go on.
4: Well, over here, book club fiction does have a certain connotation yeah. of a certain type of of literary fiction. I guess more oh. what I would I would typically call it. Um, oh, I am. I was interested by the, the use of the word topical. Yes. I'm not quite sure what is meant by that. Um, it's applied if to the skin, it means-
0: I think in, in general, general. <laughs> <use> of- <laughs> is-
4: yes, yeah. This just means you know current events, topical. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it certainly okay. it feels to me more like a literary fiction.
0: Right. Genre. Okay. Well, I've I've lost interest in that case. Um, I, like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, can we be a little more positive here and helpful, to Claire? All right so I mean even ali has to accept I think we'll find out in a moment that uh, there's some really nice writing here actually i might go back to the extruding there's some nice thinking and some nice writing so what's not actually working let's try and be constructive and make make some suggestions what's not actually working Ali
2: um I It wasn't going anywhere. There there wasn't any plot. There wasn't any emotion. There wasn't um, a structure, as it were. I I think, yes, if the prologue is snapped off, because we just don't need to know that somebody was being taken out by a crane, or it could be a chance comment later on, you know, well, she had to be taken out of the, you know, it would have covered that first 500 words or whatever. Yeah. So I think if we can actually get a bit of feeling, a bit of emotion, actually get latched on perhaps to one or maybe a couple of, of main characters Yeah. Um, and actually genuinely want to know what's happening, what's interesting in their life. Um, yeah. And I think if it's being sold as humour, it needs to have humour. You know, it needs to not have some... I mean, in the, the boardroom scene, there were one or two mildly sort of... You it was know, a tra- the, the training scene, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah 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 sorry training so yeah. yeah there were one or two mildly but as i say by that time i you know i was already already felt a bit flat about it so i wasn't you know whereas if we'd started off with a, a decent bit of humor then yeah. then i think you'd have been happy to be swept along with it and think oh yeah and that's funny too Humour's is very um, difficult so, to do, of course yeah. so uh, essentially as, as i see yeah, it from the blurb the most-
0: it's sorry it's about a marginalized outsider taking down corrupt power I mean, that's that's a a good story. Oh,
4: yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't
0: don't actually know. Maybe um, you do, Robin. Who is the marginalized outsider? Do you think we've met them so far?
4: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be that first main character or if it's supposed to be April. Um, And that's one of the things where I feel like you do need to ground the story with a character pretty quickly off the bat, and that, that prologue doesn't do it. Um, the prologue gives us a lot of very nice imagery, um, very very descriptive. It goes on a little long for my taste, um, even though it is nice. Um, but you need, even if you're going to have multiple characters and multiple stories that eventually intertwine, you need to start with somebody that we can relate to.
0: Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so I think that's very good advice. Actually, I think that's absolutely right. We need we need, need to get invested before you start to get a bit too clever. And I think, I i mean, for me, humour works, but it's so idiosyncratic. Um, Mel says, again, I narrate her, beautiful writing, beautiful writing. Target's read, target readers will have more patience to discover the story. And um, Pamela says, tom, topical means rub in, do not ingest. Uh, and uh, But the studio says, <laughs> topical in this context and Mr. message to- writes with some authority I think in this context is inclusive and I haven't come across that word used in that way before interesting alright that's great let's have a look at the numbers you've got 63 you got 63 and hopefully Claire lots of interesting comments and suggestions from the genii who are never less than helpful we're at the end of the show we need to look at the scorecard There you go, Lena. You've done it, Lena. You've done it. And I think that's a, that's a very, very good score. Um, that means, actually, you are a show winner. Mm-hmm. Stand up. Mm-hmm. Do we check out? All that. Particularly vermiculite. The, it's the same sort of world right? Therefore, a, a route in possibly to that thing that Robin was talking about earlier about you know finding finding your demographic very very interesting talking to Robin let's just go back and look at our guests one last time. How nice to see you. good okay, that's it. We've looked at you both admired <laughs> you in your glory. <laughs> listen to your words of wisdom and everything else you happen to say. I think there were some words of wisdom there somewhere and I just want to thank say- you. Thank you, Ali. Wonderful, always <laughs> wonderful to have you on. You know that, and always like wonderful big, yeah. to hear your narrations. And Robin, oh, I think you're a discovery. I think we've discovered you. Oh. We're going to want you. Well, about, thank we're you. We're going to get you under contract. You won't make any money out of it, but hey, that's publishing, right? <laughs> okay. Yep. All right. Welcome you back. And meanwhile, guys, we'll see you next week.
3: change my point of view like